Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with our hearts full of expectation, Lord. Father, I pray that you help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to not to speak as though I'm speaking the words of man, but though I would speak as though I'm speaking the very word of God. Father, I also pray for my brothers and sisters here listening. Lord, I pray that you would move powerfully and mightily and significantly in each one, that our lives will be changed today. Father, I pray for our deaf brothers and sisters next door as they are hearing the word of God as well, as they are are going through a time of worship as well. Father, I pray that you would bless their heart and encourage them and strengthen them in this time. Father, we pray for our brother Jerry and sister Kim and Joe and Rachel, those who are on holiday and everyone else who are not here on that are also on holiday. Father, we lift up our brethren and we pray that your hand be on them, Lord. Father, we pray that you would indeed guide and direct their thoughts and their footsteps and that they would return safely, that we might fellowship together soon. We give you all the thanks and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is this working? There we go. Can you get the, uh, the other um, PowerPoint up for me, please? Can you get the PowerPoint up for me? Thanks. Excellent. Okay. Well, first of all, here in the book of Hebrews, we're going to talk... Uh, as we read our scriptures from 11, chapter 11, verse 1 and through 6, we're going to do a little overview before we actually talk about what our teaching is going to be today. It's a bit of a teaching and a bit of an exaltation, so we trust the Lord will bless us. Pray for me as you're sitting there. I haven't done this for a while, so uh, you know it's, it's, a, it's nice being here and being able to see your faces and being able to bring God's word for, uh, to you. Uh, but pray for me nonetheless. I need your prayers. In this overview of Hebrews, we, uh, we see that Hebrews is a letter written, okay? Uh, we're not given the author. A lot of people believe it's the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter to the Hebrews, but it's not clear. Because often Paul, as in his other letters, he would address himself and announce himself, you know, the Apostle Paul. And here in the, the book of Hebrews, the letter, it doesn't, it doesn't say who's writing it. Uh, but nonetheless, it's powerful scripture. And it was written... Primarily to the Christian community, a Jewish Christian Christian community uh, that had been born and risen up uh, at that time of the apostles. And the purpose of the letter was to help them understand the difference from the old covenant and the new covenant. They had come into a faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but there was a big difference obviously, and who Christ was and how they had been taught. You see, in the Old Testament, during the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and during the time of Moses, the word that God had given the people of Israel was very clear that they were to trust in Him in everything and in every way. Trust in Him. He, he provided everything for them, a system of, a sacrificial system that would deal with their sinful lives, a, a system that would keep them separate from other nations, that they would be marked out. That was, the, uh, that was the sign of the circumcision that he had given them to do, that they would be different from other nations. They had other laws, uh, dietary laws and washing laws and different laws 
that God had given them to separate them from the people of the other nations. And uh, this book of uh, the book, uh, the letter to the Hebrews, is to help them understand where they were coming from. But the problem was when we read through the Gospels and the and the, the Acts, the the letter to uh, the book of the Acts. What we find is that the Jewish people had changed. They no longer even trusted in the law of God. They no longer trusted in that. They actually had placed trust in other, uh, other things. Okay? They had, when you see that Jesus, one of the things he told the, the leaders the, of, the, of the Jewish people about, what he would rebuke them about, was that they had placed trust. Uh, more trust in their in their uh, traditions. Do you remember that story where the uh, the leaders of the of the uh, the Jews were complaining to Jesus because his disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate? Do you remember that? Well, Jesus rebuked them for that because that was a tradition of men. This has nothing to do with the law of God that God had given the people of Israel in the Old Testament. This was a tradition of men. And so Jesus was dealing uh, primarily with a, a Jewish nation that had completely left the old covenant agreement with God. Completely left it, left it, built up traditions of men, were putting their trust and their righteousness in their own works. They were trusting in works and not in the word of God. And so that's what Jesus was, had dealt with during his ministry. And here... These same Jews were coming now into Christianity. They were becoming believers. And so the, the, the uh, author to the letter up to the Hebrews was dealing with this very issue. He was teaching them that we are no longer under law. We are no longer saved by your works, i.e. the works of man, traditions. You are now saved by faith. And here... We, we see the uh, author of the uh, book. He talks about the exalted son of God. So he's teaching them about what they are to believe and how things have changed. How Christ was faithful in his ministry and what God had sent him to do. In chapter 4, Christ, that Christ was the promised rest. And also Christ was the high priest. So completely doing away with the old priesthood, Christ is now to be seen as the high priest. In chapter 8, Christ's priesthood is superior to the Aaronic priesthood, completely superior, and that the old priesthood was no longer relevant. So to have faith in God, to be a believer in God, was now to be one who walked by faith and not by works. That Christ's sacrifice, as we have just experienced again and, and, and got to remember again, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We, we remember it again. Uh, Mike took us through the Lord's Supper, remembering uh, the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. His body being broken and bruised. His blood being shed. His sacrifice. In the Old Covenant, the sacrifices were of animals. The sacrifices were of bulls and goats and animals. That their blood would be shed for the sins of the people. But here the writer of Hebrews is saying, Christ's sacrifice supersedes all of that. No longer will you need to sacrifice animals and put your trust in your works of sacrificing animals. But now you put your trust in the sacrifice of Christ 
and his sacrifice alone. And then there was a warning in chapter 10, verse 26 and 27. This is a famous warning. I'm sure many of us will know this verse. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now here we see this, this warning, not to the believers, but to those Jews. That's why the script, this verse was written, because there was Jews among this community that were still holding on to these traditions. They were still holding on to works to, unto salvation rather than faith alone. But, Jesus, but the writer of the Hebrews wants to teach them, as it says in verse 38, in chapter 11, verse 38, but my righteous one will live by faith. So this was the overview of the book of Hebrews. This is the overview. The writer is teaching a Jewish community that's coming into faith for Christ, that that faith, it's by faith alone that you shall be saved, not by works, lest any man boast. Amen? So that's a, just a quick overview of this faith. Now, when we're talking about, by, but my righteous one will live by faith. What? We're going to explore that. What exactly is this faith that the writer of the Hebrews is talking about? What exactly is faith? Well, first of all, we, talk, we can talk about what faith is not. Faith is not some arbitrary force. It's just not some kind of force that is out there that is something that we can put our trust in. Faith is not a force. It's not something that we can use and build and, and kind of get good at and kind of make connections with our faith and use our faith to kind of get things. Faith is not a force. Faith is not a power that is given to a believer for the purpose of designing their destiny. So we don't use our faith now to try to program our destiny. We don't just say what it is we want to achieve in our life, what it is we want to do, uh, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the spiritual sense, serving God in church or in, 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 the, in the body of Christ, or whether it be uh, uh, outside of the body of Christ, in the world, where it be our daily, our daily work. Faith is not to be used to achieve those things. So faith is not a power that God gives you so that you can now use this thing of faith, this power of faith, this force of faith to now get things from God. Unfortunately, it's you know, due to the fallen nature of man, unfortunately, it has been said that faith is what we exercise to get things from God. People have taught that. And uh, unfortunately, the, you know, the, the false teaching of Positive confession often goes along with this false teaching of faith. If we just have faith, just believe, not confess negatively, because that will kill our chances. So you can't, this, this positive confession, you have to constantly confess good things and positive things. Well, you can't say anything negative. If you want to achieve success or a promotion at work, then you just have to pray, trust God for it, and just keep confessing that's going to happen. If you can't speak negatively... Because that would kill, 
That prayer, you see, it's got to be positive confession. Well, that's using faith for something that it's not meant to be used for. In fact, you can't even use faith for that. The Bible says that's not why we have faith. We can't use faith for healing. Okay? Faith is not a force that we use for healing. Okay? Faith is not a force that we use to get finances. Faith is not a force that we use to get a promotion or to gain success at work. If you just think, when you read on in the book, uh, chapter 11, read on, because this this chapter is called the the, uh, Hall of Fame of of Faith. You know, lots of great men and women uh, from the Old Testament showed great faith in God, and they're commended in this book. We read about two, didn't we? We read about Cain uh, and Abel. Well, we read about Abel, but we also read about Enoch, didn't we? Two people that we just had an example of who were commended because of their faith. Well, when you read on, you read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, and many, many, many more saints in the Old Testament who were commended by their faith. Now, if they had, if, uh, they had you wanted to use their faith to design their destiny and to make sure that their lives went great for them and they achieved all that they wanted to achieve, they didn't do a very good job. Uh, Because the Bible says that they all died before they received the promise. They all died before they received the promise that God had given them. And we'll look further into that. I mean, when it comes to the whole negative, positive thing anyway, it doesn't really work in Scripture. When you start to look at things like this in Scripture, for instance, look at the... uh, Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve that there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from that tree because as soon as you do, you will die. That's pretty negative, isn't it? That's a negative thing to say. But that comes from God. But look, there's a positive. The devil comes in the form of a serpent speaking to the woman. And he says, what about this tree? It looks good for eating. And the woman says, no. God says that as soon as we were to eat from that tree, we would surely die. And the devil says, no, you wouldn't die. You'll live. That's pretty positive, isn't it? Well, see, the whole positive and negative thing doesn't necessarily work when you look at it in Scripture. For instance, the people of Israel, when they were in captivity, God had sent them into captivity into Babylon. And most of their prophets were saying to them, don't worry. Don't worry. We're getting out of here. God's going to get us out of here fast. We're not staying. Don't even unpack. Don't even, you know, or, you know organize yourselves because God is going to deliver us from this place. But there was one prophet. His name was Jeremiah. God told him, no, 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 don't tell the people that's a lie. In fact, tell the people that they're going to be there for 70 years and that they should begin to build homes for themselves. They should begin to give their children in marriage, their sons and daughters in marriage, that they should plant, that they should reap, that they should build, that they should be prepared to stay there for 70 years. Now, that's pretty negative, isn't it? But so the whole negative, positive thing doesn't necessarily weigh up, doesn't work when you compare it to Scripture. So God can say some negative things, yeah? But like Grant prayed this morning, don't we want him making decisions for us? Don't we want God to be the one who designs our destiny for us rather than we 
thinking that it's in our power, that we have some kind of special power that we can design our own destiny, I would rather have God, you know, speak and, and declare and sustain me and that he would declare my destiny. And I, I put my destiny in his hands. I'm sure that you guys agree with me. So what is, what is faith? Okay. Well, first of all, it says here, let me just go forward. What is faith? Faith, first of all, is a gift from God. Okay. Faith is a gift from God. And it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So the writer of the Hebrews is speaking to the, to the Jewish Christians here, and he's teaching them. Remember he said in verse 38, that God says that my people will live by faith, not by works. And here we read in Ephesians from the Apostle Paul, clearly stating that faith is a gift from God. That even, uh, even if you wanted to gain faith and believe in God, you can't actually do that for yourself. God has to give you the faith in order to believe. So faith in itself can't be worked. It just can't be worked up. You can, you can have the right ideas. You can have the right motivation. But you cannot work up faith. It's something that only God can give you. And so first and foremost, faith is a gift from God. And it is for the purpose of salvation. Now we know what faith is, is not, what purpose it's not for. It's not to be our, our, uh, our uh, magic lamp. That we can rub and get things. That's, that's not what faith is for. We know that. But what faith is for primarily. First and foremost. Faith is for the purpose of salvation. And here we read in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. It says by faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen. And reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his whole family. So this faith that that Noah had, that God had given him, was to prepare an ark because he wanted to save his family. That was the gift of faith that God had given to Noah. It was for the purpose of salvation. Again, what is faith? We can also know that, you know, that faith here in our lives here. So faith is is. I don't, want, I don't want to distress you into thinking that, you know, faith is not for our lives today. Of course it is. Faith is still uh, relevant to our lives today and our everyday today life. Of course it is. We trust God in everything concerning our families, concerning our, 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 our relationships, our, our social lives, our, our work. Everything we do, we should be trusting God in it. But our faith is in Him and not in our ability to work faith. We should trust God. It says, and my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So that's a day-to-day -day thing. We have needs every day. And our faith in Christ, our faith in the Lord, is that he would 
meet those needs. And look, He promises to do that because we are His. We are His. And He promises to meet our needs. Also in Philippians 4, 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, everyday living. We go through trials, tribulations, struggles, hard times. And here, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the Philippians, says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, yeah, bring our, and with thanksgiving, present our request to God. Because we know our faith in Him is such that He is able. He has promised that He will provide all of our needs. He has promised that He would never leave us nor forsake us. This is the promise of God that we can have faith in. And it's for our everyday lives. And even when we think about, you know, the, the, pr uh, the prayer that the Lord had given to the disciples. It's often called the Lord's Prayer, but it's not really. It's the disciples' prayer because he gave it to them, didn't he? They asked him, Lord, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so he spoke to them. He says, well, when you pray, don't, first of all, don't be like the hypocrites. You know, like the, they like to pray in the streets and in the open to be seen by men. He was saying, don't do that. But when you pray, go into your closets. And what you ask the Father in secret, he will reward you openly. And here, uh, when we look at that Lord's Prayer, it's a daily prayer as well. One of the aspects of the Lord's Prayer is uh, give us today our daily bread. Well, that's a clue. It's a daily prayer. We're daily reliant and trusting in God. We're, we're uh, having faith that he is going to provide everything that we need on a daily basis. That is our faith in him. So, yes, our faith primarily is for salvation because as we'll look on later and as we'll carry on again next week, that primarily, that's where, that's, that's where our minds should be, is our salvation and what God has done for us that we will be saved. Amen. Right, so. Also, in uh, chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. This is the faith that we are called to. This is the faith that the writer of Hebrews were teaching and calling the people, the Jewish Christians, he was calling them to this, this faith. The writer of Hebrews is saying that the faith we have in God for salvation is just the same as already having it. What does that mean? It's money in the bank. It's like you're getting, I, I don't know about you, but I get an a, uh, email once a month from my work and they tell me how much money I've been paid. I can look at that and I know I've got it. It's in the bank. That's, that's, that's the money I've got. I don't have to have it in my hands. I've got it. And so... This is the same thing, but even better. Because here we're talking about salvation. Here we're talking about eternal life. Here we're talking about the greatest assurance that we could ever have. Okay? We all have, you know, car insurance. And we all have probably had some bad experience with car insurance. That it never seems to pay out what you pay in. It never seems to pay out what it promises. 
But here, God's promises are not like man's promises. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Amen. God promises to give us an assurance. Our faith in God for salvation, the writer of Hebrews says, is a substance. It's a real thing, tangible thing, something that you can have confidence in that is yours. And faith, it is evidence. Even though it's not something that you can see with your eyes, it is evidence. Your faith in God is evidence that you have it. That you have salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an absolute assurance. Absolute assurance of salvation. We see this again as well. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. The Apostle John writing to the church says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So, they, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know that you are saved. I was speaking to a good friend uh, a few weeks ago. And I've, I was, we were going back and forth. And I, was, I wasn't talking to him from the book of Hebrew, from the letter of Hebrews. But we're covering the same kind of material. And I was wanting to show him that works will not save you. He kept coming back to the place where he just felt he wasn't good enough. He felt he wasn't doing enough. But I was trying to assure him that you can never, ever do enough. Imagine, I said to him, imagine that even from today, if it were possible, that you would live a perfect sinless life just like Jesus did. Imagine if that were possible. Do you think that would be enough? He just looked at me and I said, it wouldn't be enough. Because you still have a mountain of sin that you've already made. Your God is going to judge you according to that sin. So even if you could be good, it wouldn't be good enough because of our sin that we've committed in our lives. A mountain, a mountain of sin. But here, the Bible says that we can have assurance that that sin is paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. That sin is completely and absolutely covered through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? We can have that assurance. We can know that we have eternal life. Here, the writer of Hebrews is wanting to get this through to these young Jewish Christians. You can have no faith in your works. You cannot trust your good works. Let me tell you what you can trust. You can trust God. You can have absolute and complete faith in Him. Amen. Faith in God. Hallelujah. As we said before, we don't have faith in faith. faith. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in God. The object of our faith is God. In fact, the Oxford Dictionary gives us a definition. A complete trust or confidence in someone or something. That's the definition of faith. Our complete trust and confidence... Is in God. Our complete trust and confidence is in His word, in His promise. As we've just read, the Apostle John wrote, He writes these things that we might know that we are saved, that we have eternal life. That is where our confidence is in. That's what faith is. Faith is not faith in faith, faith is in God. It has to have an object. 
We think of the times when Jesus healed during his ministry. We think of, of uh, the times that he healed and a number of times he would say, your faith has healed you. And we see, well, there, there you go. Their faith healed them. No, it was their object of their faith. The object of their faith was Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the living son of God. That's who their faith was in. Their faith wasn't in them somehow mustering up this force of faith. Their faith was in Christ. The object of their faith was in God. And that's what Jesus was saying. Your faith in me has healed you. And uh, we've read this scripture. and We're going to talk about this scripture at more length next week. But it says here, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Well, when we look at uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and when we look at or chapter 11, it says it is impossible to believe, to, impossible to please God. One thing is that you must believe that he exists. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. You must first believe that he exists. And in verse 3, it shows us, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. This is the faith we have in God. This is the faith that we have in God. Not only that He exists, but He is the creator of all that can be seen. Not is He only the creator of all that can be seen, but He created it out of nothing. There's a word called ex nihilo, from nothing. God created everything from absolutely nothing. We can trust in him. We can have faith in him. You know he exists. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that no one has an excuse. They know God exists because of the creation that we see around us. We know God exists. Even people will try to confuse you and try to convince you that God doesn't exist. Don't, don't play their games. They know God exists. The Bible says it's clear. They know God exists. But what they are doing, they're suppressing that knowledge. They're suppressing it in unrighteousness. They know he exists. Everybody who lays their head down on their pillow, everybody who suffers difficulty, everybody who has something happen in their life that they can't explain, constantly is being pointed to God. Everybody who just takes time to look at what God has made knows he exists. But the problem people have is acknowledging it. Because as soon as they acknowledge that God exists, that means they have to change their life. You can no longer live the way you want if you believe God exists. The Bible says in Romans 1 that they suppress that knowledge. They suppress it in unrighteousness. They suppress it because of their desire to sin. That suppressing is like, um, an illustration is like, We've all been to the pool and we've had those big beach balls and holding it down under the water. What's going to happen when you let it go? It's going to come flying up. But you're holding it down. You are physically, purposely, knowledgeably holding it down. And that's the same thing people do with, their, with the knowledge of God. 
They purposely hold that knowledge down because they don't want it to come flying up. Because as soon as it comes flying up, as soon as they acknowledge it, they have to change their life. They can no longer live the way they wanted to live, at least openly. They can no longer do it. Because you know and I know that God, when it says that God has created us in his image, some people like the Mormon church like to think God walks around like us. And, you know, he's got hands and feet. That was a big mistake. When God said that he has created man in his image, he means that that conscience that we have, knowing he exists, knowing right from wrong, knowing, that's, that's, that's God created us in that. That's how we are created in his image. There's no other part of God's creation that has that image of God within them. But men know that God exists. We'll talk more about that next week. You know, in Jeremiah 32, well, again, here in Genesis 1, let's look. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We, we, right from the very beginning, open up your Bible, chapter 1, verse 1, boom, there it is. God created the heavens and the earth. We can have faith in him. We can have faith in God. In Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. There's a lovely song we used to sing in a church I used to go to, a little chorus, and, well, it's that song, but I won't, I, won't, uh, I won't kill you with it today. But every time I read that scripture, that song always comes back to me, so I sing it like half the day. And so, God is awesome. God is mighty. God is worthy of our faith. We can have complete, absolute faith in him because he is the one who has created everything. He is the one, by the power of his command, has put it together. So we, you know, we're being called to do the same. Not just those Jewish Christians in the letter of Hebrews. Not there. We're called, you know, to do the same, to have that faith in God. You know that when it comes to good works, good works are not, should not be void from our lives, you know. Good works should not be void. It's just that we're not saved by good works. But if you turn it around, we are saved. To, we are, uh, once we are saved, we are to do good works. So we're not saved from good works, but we are saved to do good works. So once God saves you by his grace and his mercy, without any work from yourself, he does call you to do good works then. He wants you to imitate his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? He went about doing good to all that came across him. He went about doing good. And God calls us also to do good. And with the faith in God, that faith that he gives us, that full assurance of where we are in him, we can do those good works that give him glory, that give him honor. In fact, in 11.6, as we read, it is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible to please Him. So, people who do good works, but don't believe in God, or say they don't believe in God, that's not pleasing to God. That's not pleasing to God. There are people who are outside that never darken the door of a church who do more good works than me. Do more, do more good works than you. They love doing good works. 
I, I would, I would uh, say to you, that's that God conscience that they're trying to hide. They're trying to gain salvation by good works. Okay, they're trying to do good works. But those good works are not pleasing to God. If they deny the existence of God, if they deny His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, those good works, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. They mean absolutely nothing. It is impossible to please God unless you believe He exists, unless you have complete and absolute faith in Him. You know, every time, just want to leave you with this, and every time, you know, because we do, and I, I, I know I do, and I'm just a normal person. Every time we get down and, and we feel weak in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, we fail. We fail God. We, we don't do those good works. We don't do those works of mercy and acts of mercy. We don't, in fact, we do and say and think the wrong things very often. Like it was said today, even, every, even this morning. Every day we fall short. But what we have to, what we need to do, okay? What we need to do is don't stay there. Don't stay there. Don't stay there for a minute. Don't stay there because that's where you will be useless. Don't stay there. Bring yourself to the foot of the cross. Cry out to God to forgive you of your sins. He's a loving God. He loves you. He forgives you. He's already sent His Son to die for those sins. You have not lost your salvation. But He calls you to come and to cry out to Him for the forgiveness of sins. I can't remember if I put this scripture up there, but it says, For no matter... How many promises God has made, they are yes in, yes in Christ. And so through him, amen is spoken to us, to the glory of God. Fixing this final scripture, as I said, don't stay in that place of disobedience. Don't stay in that place. Remember, it's a daily prayer. A daily prayer. Our faith in God is that his word is true. His promise is true. And it says in 1 John uh, 1.9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful and just. So don't stay in your sin. Don't just stay there and think, oh, forget it. I've messed up. But the Bible says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter. Some scriptures say the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, even though we suffer, even though we struggle and sin, our eyes still must be fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Once we take our eyes from him, we're going to struggle even more. Come back to the foot of the cross, foot of the cross again. Come back to him, fixing our eyes on him and start again today it's a daily prayer start again today tomorrow start again commit yourself to the work of the lord commit yourself to honoring him to to glorifying him commit yourself to pleasing god 
by, by having faith in him. Faith for, that he has plotted and designed your destiny. Have faith in him that he is working all things out for your life for good. Have faith in him that he can do more than you could ever think or imagine. Have faith in him that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Have faith in him. He's good and he is worthy to be praised. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you today. We give you thanks. We give you praise. Lord, our hearts are humbled to know that here we are, mere men, mere, mere men and women, Father, sinful, fallen daily, on a daily basis, Lord. But you, oh God, you, Lord, beckon us to come, to come and enter, come near to your throne of grace where we find mercy, where we find grace. Father, we come again today. And Father, I pray that you forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my unrighteous thoughts, words, and deeds, oh God. And I pray, Father, that you would move in our lives. That, Father, that you would change us and continue to transform us from glory to glory. That your name would be exalted, not only in this place, but as we go out, Lord, we will continue to show our faith in you with a desire to please you, with a desire to honor you, with a desire to glorify you. Father, we thank you and we pray today that you indeed are glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.